0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Bream Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Bream Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington. Morning worship at eleven, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.breamshoreline.org. For those of you that have children that are that are in children's church, uh, the th- we we love your children. Uh, and, and it's a huge priority for us at Berean to let your children know that God loves them. And this is why we have our children's ministry, so that they will know. And I encourage you, uh, as you pick up your kids and you're driving home, to talk to them about the things that, that they're learning in children's church, so the things that we're teaching them, the things that are, uh, that are part of what we do. Uh, it's, it's important for you then also to to follow up with them and, and have a conversation. What are, what are you learning about? What are the things that are happening uh, for you in in your children's church? Um, today they're talking about the prodigal son. So that's from Luke 15, of those of you that um, you want to scan through that as you uh, pick them up real quick and, and read that story. Um, it's just a great story that, that reminds them again of, of how much God loves them and how much God loves each one of us. So I encourage you, uh, make that a priority, make that a habit of uh, what, are, what are you learning in Children's Church? And maybe even share some of the things that you're learning that, that we as, as families are growing together in the Lord. Um, so um, I also, as we, as we talk about um, our children, um, I have had a, a second child this, this summer um, working in my office. <laughs> uh, Darren Nettleton has been our summer ministry assistant. And uh, he's been hanging out in our office and, and uh, mostly bugging me in my office. No, but we've had a great time, and he's done, he's done great work. And he is heading home, or not home, I guess. He's heading back to school this week, uh, probably Thursday, yeah, driving back. So we'll be praying for him. But I just also want to say thank you, Darren, uh, for all your work this summer. You've done great work. Uh, one of the things I've been doing with Darren is as I've been preaching, I've been talking over my sermons with him and kind of helping him see, work through that process of, Okay, here's our passage. How do we get to it from a uh, passage of Scripture to where we can, we can talk about it on Sunday morning and work through that. And so if there's anything in this sermon this morning that you don't like, that probably came from Darren. Uh, uh, no. Uh, no, but yeah, i have uh, greatly appreciated your help and uh, we'll be praying for you as you drive home. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. whoever, Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's pray. God, as we open your word together this morning, we ask uh, for open ears and open hearts for the things that you have to teach to us. Uh, may we be shaped and formed through your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to First Peter chapter 4. We're continuing our, our study on 1 Peter. And I read this passage from Mark chapter 8 because as I, as I read First Peter, the thing that strikes me again and again and again throughout, throughout this letter, is Peter constantly is going back to this idea of suffering. And his example for suffering is, is always the cross. So actually, if I had you turn to 1 Peter 4, but if you just look in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he says, uh, verse 21 of chapter 2, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So in this story in Mark, Peter and and the rest of the disciples are there with Jesus, and Jesus asks them a question. Who do people say that I am? And they give these different answers. Some say that you're this, some say you're this. And And Jesus stops and says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up. Peter's usually the one to speak up. And he speaks up and says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who has come to save us. And Jesus says, okay, don't tell anybody. And then he pulls them aside and he begins to teach them. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed. And I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I will rise again. And, and this is great, especially in Mark. Um, the disciples are almost always confused by what Jesus is saying in Mark. And so Mark specifically tells us that Jesus spoke to them plainly about these things. He's not speaking in parables. He's not speaking in, in sort of these ways that it should be difficult. He's, he's very clearly, this is what's going to happen. And Peter pulls him aside and says, stop talking like that. What are you doing? He says that, that Peter rebuked Jesus for that sort of language. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? I, you know, I can't either. Um, but Peter pulls him aside and says, stop it. What are you talking about? We've just had this conversation about who you are, that you're the Messiah. And now you're coming and you're talking to us about the fact that you're going to be killed? Like, what What are you doing? And Peter, inst- uh, Jesus instead rebukes Peter and says, Peter, you don't understand. You don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. So They have this conversation because for Peter, and we've talked about this before, for Peter and, his, and the disciples and, and for any Jew living in the first century, if you're using the, the language of Messiah and crucifixion in the same sentence, it doesn't make sense. The Messiah is the one who is going to be victorious. ...over our enemies, not the one who's going to be killed by our enemies. And so Peter and Jesus have this conversation... ...and Peter can't understand how the cross could have anything to do... ...with Jesus being the Messiah. And here, as we read through 1 Peter... uh, ...who we believe is the same Peter who has had this conversation with Jesus... ...he's writing this letter to these Christians... And throughout the letter, Peter is saying the cross has everything to do with the Messiah. And the Messiah has everything to do with the cross. But not only that, the cross has everything to do with you as Christians. And suffering has everything to do with you as Christians. So we looked last week at verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. And we have this this fundamental understanding throughout this letter for Peter that that the cross and suffering have everything to do with what the gospel is about, have everything to do with who we are as Christians. So as we begin in chapter 4, verse 1, I want us to have this, these conversations, this conversation that Jesus, that Jesus and Peter had, and this, the conversation that has been going on throughout this letter of the cross, suffering. Peter says, therefore, chapter four, verse one, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves. And this language, arm yourselves, is this, is really the idea of prepare yourselves, this is military imagery. It's, it's the idea that of what you would do to get, get ready for battle. You would put on your armor. You would do all the things to get in the mindset of we're going into battle. We're getting ready to fight. And he says this, arm yourselves with the same attitude. What's this attitude? Not arm yourselves Uh, Christ suffered and you're going to suffer, and so arm yourselves and prepare to fight back and prepare to defend yourselves. No, it says arm yourselves with the attitude and the mindset that you too will suffer. That this is what it means to be a Christian, is that suffering will come your way. And you need to arm yourselves and prepare yourselves that, to, that this is going to happen so that you can live rightly in the midst of suffering. That you're prepared for it when it comes. Arm yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Get ready for this battle that you will suffer through. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. And this is... Uh, this last part of this verse here is, is a little confusing, and we'll, we'll explain it as we move through in verses 2 through 4 here, and we'll kind of see some of the context of what's, what's happening here. So I'll have you hold that question in your head. What does that mean that the one who suffers in his body is done with sin? As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. So Peter is, is painting this picture. He says, you used to live in this certain way, and the people around you who who uh, used to be a part of your of of your, the way that you lived and that you participated in these in these parties and this drunkenness and you, you participated in this way of life before you came to Christ. They don't understand why you don't join with them in that way of life anymore. And they're asking these questions and they accuse you and they, they, they ridicule you because you no longer participate. And And going back then to verse 1, this idea of, The one who suffers in the body is done with sin. Uh, What Peter is saying is is when you choose to live rightly, when you choose to no longer participate in these practices, when you choose to obey God and follow after God, the suffering will come often from the people who were once your friends. Often from the people who were once a part of your life. And they, they will look at the things that you do they will look at at your practices and they will mock you and they will abuse you and they will push you away and and we may have situations where we we can relate to this but but the reality is for Peter's audience this was on a whole another level from what we think of as suffering and persecution you have to understand that that these these people who have become Christians have left an entire lifestyle, but, but not, just, not just sort of they've, they've left the party scene, and they don't, they don't do that anymore, but this is, this is their entire way of life as far as worship and practice and understanding. That, that these practices that Peter lists, these, these would have been part of the normal way of life and the normal way of worship for, for pagans practicing idolatry. And, and this idolatry that they practiced, this way of life that they practiced, was, was crucial for their understanding of order in their society. That, that we do these things and we, and we live this way and we, we give these sacrifices and these offerings to these gods because they are the ones who provide for us. They are the ones who send the rains when we need them. They are the ones who, who keep away the natural disasters, the earthquakes and the floods. These gods are the ones who help us have societal order, who who keep the peace in our world. And you Christians are no longer worshiping these gods. These gods might become angry with the fact that you are no longer offering them the sacrifices that we know we ought to offer them. And we're afraid of the wrath that might come upon us because you Christians are no longer worshiping. It's okay if you want to worship Jesus, but come on, we got to keep these other gods happy too. And these Christians are saying, no, we're not going to participate in that anymore. And so these, these Christians that Peter is writing to uh, very likely experienced real persecution and rejection and pressure from the people around them, uh, not, just, not just peer pressure of, come on, everybody's doing it, but you have, if you don't do this, think of the danger that might come upon us. And so, as Peter writes them, and he says, as you experience the suffering that comes from your rejection of that old way of life, and your refusal to sin, your, your decisions to be done with sin, uh, you will experience suffering. And so he says, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Uh, Peter is encouraging them to to have, again, the mindset that you're going to experience people really uh, persecuting you because you choose not to, to participate. And prepare yourselves that you will suffer. Don't prepare yourselves... Uh, We've seen this again and again. Peter says, When they accuse you of doing wrong, make sure that your conduct is so honorable and so good among them that they will have nothing to accuse you of. He's he's saying, Don't respond to their attacks and their, their persecution of you by fighting back and by attacking them and tearing them down, but continue to do good no matter what. Prepare yourselves not to fight back but to suffer. he says in verse 5, But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. There's this... uh, that if you have a translation other than the NIV, you may, your translation might not say, uh, to those who are now dead. It might just say, to those who are dead, which is actually what the Greek says. But I think the NIV does, does a good job, based on the context here, inserting that word now um, in order to, to give some clarity to what is actually, Peter is actually talking about. Um, what Peter is saying is that there, there are some of you who have been persecuted to the point of death. And we know this from church history, even within the first century, that Christians began to be persecuted to the point where they were killed for, for, this, um, for their faith. Uh, we know that this is even happening today in our world. And he says, for this reason the gospel was preached, uh, even to those who are now dead. That, that, the, that these people who received the gospel, who have since, since died... We preach the gospel to them because, because the consequences of the gospel are not just for this life only, but also for the next. And that, there, that, that God is, is bringing a judgment, and he will declare them righteous in the next life. That there are some who will judge them today in the flesh. Some who will judge you today in the flesh and say, you Christians, you don't participate in this. And so there's persecution coming your way. There's suffering coming your way from us because of of the choices that you have made. And they're being judged in this way. But Peter is saying, uh, there is one who will judge according to the Spirit. That God will judge according to the Spirit. And that God will judge both those who are living now and those who have already died. And he's he's asking these believers who are in the face of suffering to please have an eternal perspective. Of what's happening here. And please have an understanding of where this story is going. And understand that God, even when it seems like like your world is chaos, understand that God is in control of these moments. And that God will be in control at the end of all things. And so that God will judge both those who are living now and those who are dead now. And these people who are persecuting you will also have to give an account before God. And then he says this, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. We read this verse, the end of all things is near. And I don't know about you, but my first my my first thought when I read a verse like that is I think, silly Peter, we're 2,000 years later, and guess what? You're wrong. Uh, the end of all things is near. But what Peter is actually talking about is, is he understands that he is living and that we still are living in the final stages of God's redemptive plan, that Christ has come, that that the sins have been paid for through the cross that the first paul uses this language the first fruits of the resurrection are already have already taken place in Christ but also in those of us who believe and so that in this in this larger scheme in this larger picture of God's redemptive plan the end of all things is in fact near not not necessarily uh, time-wise although that very well may be true as well. But what Peter is more, is more getting at here, and I believe that Peter thought that Christ could return at any moment and I and I believe today that Christ could return at any moment. But the reality is that in the larger that Peter isn't wrong when he says the end of all things is near. What Peter is saying is that we are living in the final stages of God's redemptive plan. The end of all things is near. How do, how do we generally live when we believe that the end of all things are near? How many of you, most of you, all, all of our high schoolers are gone to the, on the mission trip, or most of them are, so um, most of you are old enough to remember Y2K, yes? How do, how do people respond? Those, I, I won't ask for a show of hands of, of how many of you thought things were really going to fall apart at that time or or who did this. But but those who those who really uh believe that that you know all the computers are gonna crash and we're gonna fall back to a state of, uh, of chaos, um, how did people respond in those situations? What did they do? Prepare for, Prepare for it, right? You stock up, you get you know you get your year's supply of food. Um maybe the ones who are really extreme built some you know basement shelter or something you know uh, people, people that believe that this, was going, that this was really going to be the end of the world um, somehow thought that they were going to survive it if it was the end of the world. But they, and, and we had this, again, a couple years ago with 2012, the, the whole Mayan calendar. There are people that actually believe this, and again, I won't ask if you were one of them, but uh, that, that people stock up, right? You, you uh, get everything that you need, and you you make it secure. Maybe you find what you need to protect yourselves, to, because because what's going to happen is the resources are going to be limited, and so you have to make sure that you have enough for yourself and your family. And you're going to hunker down and you're going to wait it out, and hope uh, hope that you survive the the end of the world. The end of all things is near, and so this this is the the mindset that. That often we have when we when we think about this and here's what peter tells us that we should do when we believe that the end of all things is near therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled this is good right uh the end of all things is near we need to be thinking clearly we need to make sure that we're in control of what we have so that you may pray I love this verse because I always, every time I read this verse, I think of Peter in the garden with Jesus, where, Peter, where Jesus says to Peter, uh, keep watch and pray with me, and Peter is falling asleep again and again. And I think of this, and I, and I wonder if Peter is, is encouraging his readers, don't fall asleep. The end of all things is near, so be watchful, be prepared, and pray. Pray. Trust in God. Put put your faith, engage God in what's happening around you. Be watchful to what's happening around you and engage God in these things. And then he says this, Above all else, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Don't, don't bunker down and protect yourselves and, and, and push everything away because the end of all things is near. But instead, above all else, above whatever else you do, love each other deeply. He says, as you are experiencing persecution, as you are experiencing real suffering, you're being driven away from people who you once had friends, people who were once family members, who, who you, you lived with, you shared life with, you're being driven away. Above all else, in this community where you're being persecuted and torn apart, love each other deeply. That as a community of Christians, above all else that you do, love each other. Because love will cover over a multitude of sins. That sometimes in a community, Peter recognizes that we might sin against one another. We might say things, we might do things, we might harm one another. We might seriously offend one another. And Peter says, whatever you do, above all else, love each other deeply. Because if you have a deep love for one another, you can look over those sins. And you can cover over those ways that someone has wronged you. And you can look past those faults, and you can look past maybe even betrayals, because love covers over those sins. And so he says, above all else, uh, in the midst of this persecution, Peter is wanting this church community to be able to come together, to not split apart over small, divisive things, or even, even large, divisive things. But he says, come together, stay together. It's important that you as a community do not break apart amongst yourselves in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your persecution, um, it's always easy when we are suffering, when we're feeling betrayed, when we're feeling attacked, to just to put up our walls, to, to hide from one another, to not want to reach out, to not want to have somebody else come in and really know to know us. And when we feel like somebody has maybe uh, betrayed us, when we feel like maybe somebody has slighted us even, we just want to put up our walls and say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I, I can't deal with that right now. I need to take care of myself. I need to protect what I have. And if someone's going to be mistreating me, uh, even someone that I'm supposed to trust is mistreating well, then I don't want to have anything to do with that. But Peter says, above all else, above, no, above all else that's going on in your lives, the most important thing, this is, this is the kind of language that he's using, above all else, love each other. Deeply. Then he says in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Again, this idea if we persecution, betrayal, the end of all things is near, this, this idea that we don't have long and, and we can only take so much with us. And Peter says, offer hospitality to one another, invite each other in share what you have amongst yourselves be generous with what you have here it says don't again don't bunker down don't put up the walls yes you have been betrayed in the past yes it's hard for you to trust other people because of how you've been treated in the past but love each other and offer hospitality to one another Without grumbling, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ says, whatever things you have, whatever gifts you've been given, um, and, and uh, commentators sort of disagree as, as to what exactly he's, he's talking about here. If he's speaking specifically of, of what we would call spiritual gifts, or just, just whatever you have, whatever gifts that you have, um, use them to serve one another. If anyone speaks, if anyone has, has a gift of speaking, use the words that you have to speak the, as if you're speaking the words of God. Speak the things that God would say to a person who is experiencing pain and persecution. Speak the reminders that they are loved. Speak the reminders of, of God's faithfulness, even when it seems he is distant. Speak as though God were speaking. Don't speak what you, maybe you feel in your heart. It's like, well, this is what this person really should hear um, so they can straighten up their act. Speak the words that God might say to them. If you serve, serve doing it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And this this final phrase here, Peter, Peter sort of is ending a larger section that has started all the way back in, in chapter two, and he says, To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And what he's saying is he, as he draws this to a close, that that in the way that we respond, the way that we act in the midst of this persecution, and, and the things that we do, if we choose to be done with sin, if we choose to obey. If we choose to love each other deeply, that these things bring glory to God in our response. That these things actually become a means of worship to God. When we choose to offer hospitality, when we choose to love each other deeply, when we choose to serve one another, even in the midst of our fear and our suffering, that these things then become worship. And so the question that I, that, that I leave for myself this morning and the question that I want to leave with with you uh, is are, are we living in light of a future that we hope for or are we living in light of a future that we are afraid of? And the reason I ask this question is because Peter is, is speaking to people who are experiencing what seems like a very fearful future. And he calls them to love and to hospitality and service. Because his understanding of what Jesus did on the cross, his understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, means that the future that we have to look forward to is a future of hope despite the circumstances that are happening around them at the, at the moment, he's saying, live in a way that you are looking towards this future of hope, not the future of fear that might be around you right now. And so the things that we value, the things that God values, are these, these, these acts of love and hospitality and service. And so live towards those things, even in the midst of your fear and even in the midst of your suffering. Uh, To have, as Christians, to have a hope for the resurrection. To have a hope that that we are already somehow participating in that resurrection. As people who have been born again and brought into new life. That means, even in the midst of our suffering. Even in the midst of betrayal. Even in the midst of hard, hardships. We don't bunker down. We don't put up the walls and defend ourselves. But we choose to live in light of the future hope that we have. We choose to love each other deeply. We choose to offer hospitality. We choose to serve one another with generosity. We choose to do all of this for the glory of God. We choose to trust that what we see in front of us is not all there is. But that there is a future hope that we are living towards. And that these things are good. That it is better to love one another and to offer ourselves, than, than to just protect ourselves and not worry about one another. That it's better to serve one another than to say, I'm just going to serve myself because right now I can only really think about myself. I don't have enough to offer somebody else, so I really just have to protect what's mine. But that the gospel and the resurrection is, no, it's all God's. And so you can live generously, you can serve, you can be open and trust that, yeah, you may still experience persecution, You still may experience betrayal. You still may be rejected by those around you. But God is in control. And he's he's moving towards a future of hope and of life. And so even in the midst of those things, we can love. We can offer hospitality. We can serve one another. Even when the end of all things is near. Even if, if 2015 is... The end. 2014 is the end. Um, I mean, if you knew the world was ending tomorrow, what would you do? And that, that maybe you would survive and, you know, we're going to have a big tsunami and we're going to, and it's just, it's just going to be a few of us left here in, in the Puget Sound region. How would, you, how would you respond? Peter is saying, respond with generosity and love. Serve one another in the midst of all of it. Let's pray. God, uh, as we have had these conversations about about suffering, we recognize that that in our world today that there are are people who are suffering far greater than anything that we experience. We think of of Christians uh, in the Middle East today who um, and around the world who are who are being persecuted that that today more Christians are being persecuted for their faith than at any time in history and we think of our own suffering and it seems so small compared to people who are giving their lives for their faith and yet we still experience in pain in our world we still experience hardship in the things that we do and so we ask that you give us an attitude a mindset uh, to prepare ourselves uh, to suffer well. That we, in the midst of, of our own suffering, may choose love, that we uh, may choose obedience to you, that we may be generous with the things that you have given us, trusting that you are in control. God, it's so easy to uh, just want to bunker down and protect and we ask for the courage to trust and to open ourselves up to those around us. Amen. Peter is a fascinating character. I mean, if you look at his life and, and you read through the Gospels and then you see him at the beginning of the book of Acts, he's just this radical shift that can only be attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Uh, and, and the work of the gospel happening within him. Uh, and, I, and I pray for all of us this morning that we may have the gospel work in us in similar ways. That we may become a blessing. Um, one of the commentators I was reading this week was saying that Peter is writing and, and giving instructions for people for how to live in a world uh, that, is, that is rejecting and pushing away from the Christian faith. And I believe that we could look at our world and we could say, well, this is, this is us today. And his challenge for them is, is be a blessing. Serve. Love each other deeply. So this week, may you be a blessing for someone. God be with you.